Why do coaches use anger to communicate? How much has coaching evolved over the past 20 years? What are the best methods for unlocking the optimal performance from your players? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. If you didn't see my video on Tom Izzo losing his mind on freshman Aaron Henry during the NCAA tournament, I recommend heading over to YouTube and checking it out. As part of that piece, I interviewed Mark Bennett, who currently works as a consultant, coach, trainer, and mentor with various professional and national sport organizations, teams, and universities around the world. Simply put, Mark makes people better influencers. Well, let's let's actually jump right into it because I think I, the first question I wanted to ask you was, um, you know, what was your reaction to seeing the clip of Tom Izzo and the and the player uh, at, coming out of the timeout? Well, I, I guess because it's been twenty eight years just scanning for behaviors, I watch a video differently than probably most people. So what stood out to me was that it it was clear to me that the coach and the players must have developed a really strong rapport during training because the interaction of the players to the coach and the players' acceptance of their intervention. I mean, there was two separate, it wasn't even the same player. There was a, uh, one player when he stood up in that first little seat, got in front, there was an acceptance, almost a bit like a, a family argument more than separation. And the coach didn't see that as a, as a throw away. He didn't push it away. There was a subconscious connection, acceptance. And also when he was sat down, he went to do the lunge, a different player was there and there were people talking to the other player so I kind of maybe I saw something different than others but what I also noticed now this is just a judgment it may not be right or wrong because I'd need to see more than just that clip but what what jumped out to me was my perception is that that coach in a moment lost his emotional control so there was I'm pretty sure that actually if he was the emotional intelligence of being aware of your state and then regulating your state for, right, I'm in control of my state now. What's the best for this moment to have the desired impact? Then I, I felt he was out of touch with that. So therefore, it was a vent through frustration. I don't believe that was a conscious decision to make that style of communication in that moment. But the other thing is, and this is where I read in the comments from your tweet, actually, is I think a lot of coaches don't understand what athlete-centered is and what it isn't. And they don't understand that actually having different styles in your toolkit that is still very tough, very direct, but actually the accountability comes from the players before the coach has to step in and own it actually is a very tough place to be, but it's pre-agreed. So what I saw there was almost players recognizing that the coach's behavior was unacceptable, but having a great rapport through the development that coach has clearly done a great job of developing rapport in the training environment, that they were comfortable enough to step in. What you normally find in that type of environment, if the rapport isn't strong, i.e. if the coach is just, it's my way, shut up, do as you're told, the only way. So there's no light and shade to the coaching, which I don't believe was the, the uh, example with that coach. I think he has great light and shade. If there's no light and shade, if it's only an aggressive coach, players would not step in. Players would just step away in that moment. You just get this confrontation. So there was a lot of little elements that you picked up from that. From me, I think that's a coach that has reflected on this from just this flash I saw that would actually say, I don't believe the um, the knocking I'm getting. 
I believe in tough coaching, but actually I believe in tough love. I believe in accountability, but in reflection, if I was to do that again, I'd like more tools in my toolkit to still be sharp, but be more effective in that moment. I don't believe he thought he was in reflection. He was the most effective he could have been in that moment. And it's not about, oh, what would you like to do? What do you think? That's not athlete-centered. You can still be direct, but it can be accountability back from a coach to the athlete, not just the coach having a driver all the time. Um, did you happen to see his response to a question um, after the next game that they won where they asked him what happened at halftime to get them to play? They still weren't playing yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, was that when he was a little sarcastic with the reply? Yeah, so I think that was just him responding to a lot of the negative reaction. Um, and I think, I don't think that's actually him. I think that's him responding in a sarcastic way to all these people saying, oh, you know, you need to be, you can't shout at athletes, etc." Now, I don't agree in shouting with athletes, but I, I don't believe in just having a, a mild little, what do you think? Come on, try harder, guys. That's not athlete-centered. That's not tough. I mean, my background is I used to run the commando training. I've served operation with the British commandos. But we don't have to shout at each other to get the impact we need under severe pressure situations. You can train it to say the right thing in the moment, moment to be sharp. And I, I think if you sat down with him and had a reflective discussion that wasn't him being sarcastic, I'm sure he'd recognize actually he just needs to stretch his toolkit. And I just don't believe in that moment he was aware of his state and he was sharp enough of saying the right thing he was venting through frustration there that i don't think that was a conscious choice okay now what do you what is the concern in a general sense uh with the athlete's performance uh in the face of that kind of behavior from the coach what what makes everybody looking at this and the studying the science you know concerned about how the, how that affects the performance i mean there i'm no academic so this is just based on my 28 experience working with over 28 different sports from Olympic pro all the way to grassroots. If you were to scan that, and I haven't seen a video, it'd be worth getting hold of it. If you scan the behavior of that player immediately afterwards, I'd be surprised if he was, he was playing to his best. That would probably have, he would have a regression. Now, long-term, once they had a reflection, sit down at halftime, whatever the next chat, you would probably be re-generalized. It would have been sorted out and then it'd be playing well again, but you'll rarely get a, open fired up driving with confidence athlete after that type of interaction in those moments there's normally a, a short-term regression or they sit on the bench so my experience is that actually doesn't have the effect you want you get the point across that they're not happy but generally the player doesn't go out and go right i've got this i'm nailing this i'm now driving it with no fear actually you're putting down a fear into the individual and that's not a soft thing that's just recognizing this moment you can be tight and sharp and hard but firm fair and friendly in that manner not softy softy but your your whole intent is the Stephen Covey begin with the end in mind for this athlete what I need to do is press his button to make him realize and play the best he can be now here's the two questions that I haven't heard anyone discussing this my question watching the scanning of the athlete was the athlete's intent good i.e. was he driving was he working hard the next question if yes is what about his tactical choices was he making right or wrong tactical choices if the answer is intent was great he was making wrong tactical choice uh, choices then address the tactical choices don't address the fact he's not driving with intent now if it's an intent thing let's address the intent thing what can i say to that pl player that might be different to another player that can actually get him to connect back to his intent my principle in using that rule of three that I developed is actually come from the peers first. We shouldn't have to wait to get to a timeout for the coach to deal with it. 
the players you should develop in training so they can back each other to sort those little elements out. So if you did you watch the game? I did. And so was it an intent thing or was it a tactical choice thing? Well, he, he, he wasn't very clear. <laughs> at, at one point he had said, do you think that's the first time this thing happened and that's what made me get so angry? So like, I think he was intimating that okay. this was a pattern perhaps. But all I do all okay. day is watch video. I mean, that's what I'm an expert in. And I yeah, went yeah. through... Um, all of the, the footage from the halftime, because remember this happened in the very beginning of the second half. So, yeah. uh, and it, but he also tried to intimate that there was some sort of notion of him not like running back hard on defense. And I went through okay. and there was zero evidence of that. There was only one play, because you have to remember the other context is his team was on a 10-0 run. They had finally taken control of this game that was very tough for them against a much lower seeded opponent. Like this is the team they were playing very yeah. well down. So in a moment when it was a 10-0 run and they were playing really well, this is what he did. And the notion of him not running back hard on defense is, is non-existent primarily because they were scoring. So there was no notion of the other team coming back down fast where he's got to not get, you know, he's not getting back or he's jogging. Okay. That does not exist. So there was maybe one play on defense where he, he didn't rotate the right way, but somebody else covered for him and that team, the team missed and it was, they were play on. They went to the, down on the other side. So I don't see the evidence that he was talking about. And that's another troubling thing for me. So I, that could have been then that the coach had had his set expectations of the level of performance of, the, of his team. And they were playing a lower team. So there was an expectation that they should win anyway. But his his level of accountability to what his expectation was, he saw lower than he wanted to. So internally, that could have gotten him frustrated going, we can play better than this. Yeah, we're beating the other team, but we're not playing to our standards now. And I'm getting annoyed. They might have been discussing that in training. Look, this is a team. They're going to come and fight for us. We should expect these are the trip up. These are the hazards. We have to play to our excellence. And he may have seen them not doing that or that particular player. My question would be is, what were the interventions before that? So are there, as he rotating players, that could speak to him? Has he has he developed a training um, principle that actually other players would recognize that if the player itself hasn't? And, and even running back, say that quick word, that quick hand touch to get him fired back up again. Why do we need to wait for a timeout before we can adapt? The whole point of effective world-class athlete-centered is giving the players the tools to adapt live and not wait for the timeout. So do you think it may have been he had his high expectations of his level of performance and internally he wasn't seeing it, so internally he was getting frustrated? Irrelevant of the run, actually he thought his behaviours of certain players were unacceptable based on his expectations. I, I mean, I think that's the case, and I think it, having been in a situation of being on a sideline in a game which is going very fast yeah. and you have a pretty poor view of, of the game, really, uh, you know, you're not high where you can see everything, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think that it, the, 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 the moment might have overwhelmed him. And it, it's still, it's just not clear what would have caused that, what, what the player did would have caused it. Now, you can see the player himself yeah. really confused. And his hands are up. And he, the yeah, other yeah. coach starts to try yeah. and talk to him. He's like, what, what did I do? And that, that yeah. was then perceived as talking back. Or you know, or whatever he was doing in the coach, and I, 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 to me, what I saw was a a very young player, a freshman, uh, really confused, really hurt, and just unable to figure out and, and without any explanation. And I, I think that was what was yeah. probably made him yeah, there do was, that. Yeah, there was definitely a, a bit of a surprise from the look of the player when he when he you know coach directing. So there's is there is there that the expectation of the coach wasn't clear to the players on the tactical 
that he wanted them to play or the intent, whatever. But the question is, is why didn't the other players on court pick it up and do something before that time? I mean, that that would be a frustration. That should have been the frustration level of a coach. Because I actually, looking at it, like I said at the beginning, I think he must develop a great rapport with his players in training by the way they interacted. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one of those moments that is not his everyday moment, but a moment that was actually ineffective behavior. So this is the thing about these flash little video clips. People can't start knocking a guy as a coach because of one 30-second clip. You know, this is about years of development. And you can see the interactions with players, how how great work he must be doing with the players. But in that particular moment, if you're only reflecting on that, I don't believe he was managing his state and he was consciously making that choice. I think that was an emotionally-led choice. I think if I were to speak to him openly without barriers, I think he'd have recognised that himself. I mean, a great example is, you know, Alan Keane, the GB basketball coach I work with over here. I mean, he was a fiery Irishman when I first met him, and he was doing that in training and in games. He he was so passionate about it, he wanted to get the best out of players, but he was internally getting frustrated. The players weren't doing what he expected them or wanted them to do. And so he was just getting more and more wound up, and that was then be, he was then becoming ineffective at speaking to the players. And then the players were just hiding. You know, what does he want? Or they were saying, actually, what does coach want me to hear now? So I'll tell him what he wants to hear. So now we haven't got the honesty. So there's all this type confusion comes in. I mean, looking at him now over the journey, I'd say Alan's one of the best athlete centered coaches I've ever seen in basketball. And what he will do now is he will drive the players to facilitate that change in one itself and them and then if they come and he knows it's unacceptable he'll direct them straight away what did we agree bang nail them on it okay so what is it what do you need to do what's preventing you right now can you show me now do i need to rotate you off i'll give you five seconds if not you're coming off and putting someone else on you ready for this now so what are you going to do so it, it's cool it's calm but it's it's assertive it's direct but it's not emotionally led he's making a conscious choice but it's always athlete centered athlete first there's still accountability coming from the athlete. You know, it's never a good idea to let your emotions get the best of you while you're coaching. And it's certainly not a good idea when you're trying to decide what to wear out in public. I know I'm constantly trying to find clothes that are really comfortable, but are also really stylish to wear out as well. And at Roan, I finally found the one place for premium activewear that is engineered for unparalleled quality and comfort. Slip on their spar crew neck and you'll know exactly what I mean. It's ridiculously soft and has stretched to it, making it seem like it was designed exactly for you. Do you consider yourself a modern man? Well, Roan has something for you for every occasion. Their selection of premium shorts, shirts, tank tops, socks, and swimwear has you literally covered for every situation, and they're perfect for the office or the gym. And now, Roan has just released their amazing new commuter collection, Perfect for looking great and staying comfortable at the office. There's no question the style is familiar but unique as it rides the line between absolute comfort and the need to look appropriate in an office setting. I'm a sucker for pullovers, and their Sequoia quarter zip is awesome because you can have a nice collared shirt underneath it to get the perfect mix of business and casual. And that goes for everything in the commuter collection, from pants, polos, shorts, and shirts that are all lightweight, comfortable, and wrinkle-free. Go to roan.com slash breakdown today and use promo code breakdown to get 20% off your first purchase. That's R-H-O-N-E dot com slash breakdown, promo code breakdown for 20% off. Roan.com slash breakdown, promo code breakdown. What is the role of a coach 
in a game versus training in a practice? And are those two roles different? Well, it's interesting you ask that because my observations and basketball is probably one of the extreme examples of this is I see often two different coaches from the coach in training to the coach in the game. So actually the coach's behavior is different often in the game, which is generally more unacceptable in the game and more acceptable in, in training. The aim of a coach should always be to use training as a way so players can do what you want them to do in a game without the need for, for the coach. But often what we happen in training is the coach is too controlling in training. He doesn't develop the skills or she doesn't develop the skills needed for players to under high pressure problem solve and adapt live in training because that's the very thing we want them to do in a game. Things aren't going well. Okay, we have the tactics. I've just drawn some stuff on the board. It's gone out. The opposition's been sharp. They've adapted quick. You need to adapt it live now under pressure. The scoreline, we're 20 behind, right? You've just had a negative run of five. Are you in the zone now? Can you look ahead? Can you make decisions without looking at the sideline for coach to tell you what to do? So what we have often, and basketball is one of those things, I don't believe there's enough formal support of coaches, of training coaches that are already coaches in developing, okay, right now, what's your role? Are you aware of what you're saying, what you're doing? Are you aware of setting up scenarios and tools to get players to be able to self-adapt, make decisions without looking for coach to give them the answers? Because if no one's supporting the coach to do that, then the coach will just do what's always been done or how he was coached or he's getting some success by shouting or telling or, or narrating. I call it narrating. So as training's going on, the coach is shouting them, right, wide, width, 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 run back, Jimmy over here. So they're doing it. They're seeing it. They go, what a great training session. We nailed it. And then we come to game time with all the noise and all of a sudden Jimmy isn't doing it. And you're going, well, we've done this 100 times. Why aren't you doing it, Jimmy? And now coach is getting frustrated in the game. Well, the reality is you didn't let Jimmy do it on his own. He only did it with your support. So we need to develop a type of training where not in short-term memory, not we've just said something and you do it, now show me. In long-term recall, we worked on something two weeks ago. I'm now going to throw rough, high-pressure scenarios at you using the opposition, split the teams. Right, try and do this. You know Jimmy, how Jimmy winds up. Do this to him. Step back and let them go at each other and then see can they problem solve can they make good choices can they manage their state live without me having to step in so i always think that the role of a coach should be to make themselves redundant and what i mean by that is develop players that can manage their state make decisions commit with intent review the the commitment and the decision the tactics live effectively under any type of pressure unsupervised without the need for coach so, so if we're thinking yeah. like that training has to be different Exactly. I mean, I think that's what we don't understand. To me, I, my answer would almost be uh, the goal of the coach in a game is to get your player to play at the most optimal level they possibly can. And especially when you're playing in the NCAA tournament where it's a knockout game, you're gone, your season's over if you lose that game. It, it just yeah, seems yeah. like an awful big risk uh, to have an explosion like that. And I, I wonder if you can walk us through a little bit of, of is it sort of the brain patterns of what, you know, you mentioned earlier about you weren't surprised that he didn't do well. And he didn't do well. He threw the ball away twice in a row and was visibly yeah. rattled uh, for about yeah. 10 minutes. Can you walk us through the emotional state of what happens generally uh, when you have a, a player-coach relationship and that kind of interaction happens? What, what happens in the brain and, and the processing? Well, you probably, if you think about it, I mean, we've always been, we've all been in these situations. So reflecting back to our own lives is, the external influences can impact on our emotional state. Our emotional state will impact on the way we make choices, the way we think, 
And what we can do, instead of being in the present, we can start the negative experience we just had. We're hanging on that. So it may be a case of don't drop the ball, don't pass, don't muck up. Because in the head now, someone's just had a go at me. I mean, I'll give you an extreme example. But, you know, have you ever had um, internet trolls where you've put something up and then someone's being very aggressive, negative to you? Now, does that affect your emotional state? Does that affect your reflection pattern? So you're no longer now in the present. Your mind is not where it needs to be. It's actually me in the present now, living live. What's coming up? I'm committing to it 100%. Because now part of your thought process is from the argument, conflict conversation you just had 10 seconds ago. So now that's a negative influence. So all right, the, the whole point of it is now that now people may have to 10, 15 minutes get over it and all of a sudden they're back in. But in that short moment, that's a negative impact on somebody being present, being clear on what they need to do, which is playing great basketball. So and, this yeah. this is a problem. And and 10 to 15 minutes the game could be over. Like that's that's the risk that yeah, I don't yeah. think it's worth oh, yeah, taking yeah. Yeah. Uh, in that situation. Yeah. And then you throw in the yeah. fact that there was a 10-0 run in their favor they did that. That was yeah. I think the visceral reaction. And I lament by the way the, the original tone of the first tweet. I didn't I, I I wish I hadn't done it and my penance for doing that was to reply to every single person I could in a much yes. more patient measured yeah. way. You might have seen some of those. Yeah. Uh, because of that. Yeah. So, um, and speaking of the internet trolls and the reaction I got, uh, you know, and, and what, what was interesting about this was that not only was it your soft, so I want to talk about like the, the binary nature. If you're not doing that, then it's, you're completely soft and coddled. And that's what's wrong with our whole society. But also, yeah. um, what I don't understand is, oh, and, and everyone else was throwing in their own version of having that kind of coach. So I'm kind of curious yeah. in your mind why, like, how have we gotten to the point now where it is so binary that it's either or and there's nothing else in between and no one can even envision that. And the people who have already had that coaching are completely and utterly convinced it is the only way to do it. Otherwise, you will be soft and coddled and unaccountable. Well, there's two things. There's ignorance. And I'm not using that as a negative word. And there's you don't know what you don't know. So the challenge we've got is that ingrained in coaching coaching's come from years and years ago ex-players retiring can't play anymore so it's right well i'll coach the team then and then we develop this pattern and most coaching is technical and tactical most coach training is technical and tactical so the challenge we've got is now this new way and i don't think it's new by the way i think you know there's been some great coaches doing athlete centered 30 years ago just no one put a label on it mm -hmm. but this new way now has jumped up and people don't understand what it is so they think that actually you're either you need to be aggressive and shout and hard man because that's how we toughen players up and that's how we prepare them for life or because they don't know what athlete centered is it's oh you know put your arm around them and there's tree hugging and we have chats and we sit down and we discuss that's not athlete centered so can I give you the example of military? I mean, this is a great way to explain it. In basic training in, in any military, and I'll use the British Army for example, uh, recruits are just told what to do and where to go. They don't have to think too hard. And basically, it's high supervision, particularly when there's live round safety. So there's a lot of control, bam, bam, bang, A, B, C, D, which is very similar to coach-led coaching. I'll tell you what to do, and I can shout at you sometimes, and aggressive, bang, do here, do that, because that's what makes you tough. The more you go up into special forces, so SAS, SBS, Commando, Parachute Regiment, the less they do of that. So what they're saying is now, I'm going to put you in situations. It's up to you to self-manage. It's up to you to nail things. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to shout at you. I might challenge you and ask you, why do you do that? What do you need to do different? Show me. So my accountability now is for you, not for me to tell you what to do all the time. 
And it's the toughest environment you can because we want to develop special forces that can think live under pressure themselves, not rely on someone to go, Hank, can you stop firing at me one second? Coach, what do you want me to do in this moment? We want to develop that can self-manage and self-manage under pressure. So athlete centers is about actually begin with the end in mind. I want players to self-manage themselves, cope with pressure, make real smart decisions and take responsibility for committing to those decisions without fear under high pressure, without the need for coach. That's athlete-centered. So it's a lack of understanding of how do I go from, if, I was, if I'm a coach that I know I've had some success doing this, so why would I want to change? Because if I change, I know I'm not going to be as effective immediately because you know, like, it's a new skill, right? So if we were asking a basketball player to adjust their dribble, initially, there's going to be a regression mm -hmm. to come out the other end. Well, it's the same as coaching. So two things, and I think America's quite poor for it. I know it's a broad statement is there is not enough quality coach support training to get coaches one to understand athlete centered and support them on that journey of change. So there's people jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah, I'm athlete centered and it's this, this athlete centered. I can tell you now is the toughest way to coach. It's tougher for the player because a player now has to think for themselves. They, they are challenged in what you need to do. They can't be told anymore. So a great example in that situation of the video, the difference between coach-led and athlete-centered is coach-led, the athlete will come in and the coach will tell them what they did wrong and what they need to do right. Athlete-centered is, which they developed in training, athlete would have come in if it wasn't self-managed, which it should have been live with the other players, the, the coach will challenge them, okay, what did you do? What are you going to do differently? What's preventing? You need to give me the solution right now because it's you that are going to have to do it. And we develop up athletes that can do that and robust enough to take that type of feedback and to do something with it. But it's it's us as a coach recognizing, one, do I manage my state? Am I aware of it? Because if I'm not aware of my state, I can't make good choices because the environment will be negatively affecting me the same as it affects an athlete. So if we think about it, to develop a great athlete, we want them to be aware and control the environment, not allow the environment to control them. Hostile crowds, you know, tough teams against them. No, I can, I can do the best I can in relevant environment, like special forces are training to. That's exactly the same for a coach. We need a coach in those type of environments under the pressure to still be sharp with his state or her state and make good decisions and communicate effectively. We don't train coaches to do this. So either coaches have it or they don't. But it is trainable. There's just not enough proper coach support. I mean, the coach we're talking about, I think he he must be a great coach in many things he do because of the rapport he's built with those players. He just has missing links. And I reckon he would recognize them and be up for developing them. But where would he go to get no-nonsense support to do that? Because it's not some athlete-centered Nancy Ferry chat sitting down and having a conversation Actually, you need someone to hold you accountable and go, right, let's review this. Okay, you review it. What's working? What's not? What do you need to change? What were your options? Okay, now the tough thing is you need to show me that right now. So what's acceptable and unacceptable? You, and you this know, is this is the whole point. I, I think that a lot of the coaches, because they, they can't conceive of any other way, like that's how I need to get my point across yeah, yeah. to make them tough. And I think that the, mm -hmm. the, the answer you're giving us in, the, in an even more concrete uh, way of explaining it would be you ask them what the issue yeah, is yeah. it's simply a yeah. question based now we've seen that that method in est 
and in Tony Robbins and all sorts of other motivational speaking methods in different uh, areas that are not sports related. And, I, and I've you know, studied all of those different things. So I almost feel like it's as simple as helping coaches understand. You know, when I do it now, I used to say, you know, you didn't run that sprint hard enough. You were, you know, and, and the disgust on my face, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But it, now it, I think it's a question base where I'm like, do you think you could have run that faster? And a lot of times they'll say, yeah. I'm like, okay, let's do it again. And then they do it. And that I feel like that's what you're tapping into. And in, 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 the, well, the simple answer is just yeah. questioning them. Asking well, them let's questions. go. There's two, yeah, there's two elements with that is we can't shift from not telling them to asking them because nothing will happen. It will be total failure. We need to train players to self-review. So if we don't train them self-review, they can't review. So we'll have to ask them 10 minutes of questions for them to get the answer because they're not skilled in Mm self-evaluating. So this is why we can't then just start doing it. And again, the point of the questions. So even the questions you did there, I'm I'm putting you on the spot now, by the way, Mm -hmm. um, but the questions you're doing there are leading questions. What we should be doing is saying, right, right, review review what happened there. Because what I want to know is I know the answer. I want to know if you know the answers. Mm -hmm. So do you recognize? So they need to be going... I cruise that. I didn't drive. Okay, so my question then would be, okay, when did you recognize that? And, and we need to be training this in training, right? Oh, straight away. So why didn't you do anything about it? What's preventing you? I need you to show me the answer, not tell me the answer. I don't want you to tell me now what you knew you did wrong. I want you to change it there and then. Back out. Show me. Now, we do this in training. So I train coaches to train their players to develop a – to train them in uh, experiential learning. So it's been using mountaineer and expedition for years, using an SAS. It's a way of actually knowing, simple version is, okay, did I commit? I've made a choice. Did I commit? What happened? What were the differences? What would I change if anything? Live, bam, bam, bang. We train them. So our questioning framework is around that initially because it's a new skill. And then we're saying, I want you to do that live. Under high pressure in split seconds, that's what you need to be doing. You're evolving. You're not just being emotionally led. You're not going, oh, I just mucked up there. I'm still thinking about it. No, you've concluded that. What's next? Where are you right now? So what you'll find is when you start doing this, when it comes to the timeouts, a lot of the problems have been solved live because we've trained them to do that. But when we get there, we can just go review this. So we, here's where we need to get to, and this might be a bit crazy for some coaches to get, but bear with me. If we've developed effective athlete-centered in training, and we have to do it then, develop it, then put it under pressure, we should only have two questions in timeouts. Timeout, why have I called it, is one question. They should be able to self-manage, solve. So what are you going to do? The other question should be, why did they call it? Wow. So if they've called it, what do you think they're going to do? So if they're going to do that, what do we need to be ready for? What if they do this? What, and then if they're missing something, yeah, but what if this happens? We're going to do this. Okay, show me. Mm-hmm. So it's always athlete first, athlete last. Let's see if they've recognized a problem. They haven't solved it. Do they need me? I fill in the gap. Okay, they need to end with what are they going to do? So if I'm talking and they're disengaged, especially if they're high pressure, they could be just thinking about anything. We don't know if it's gone in. So the last piece that should be speaking is a player that are going to go and do it. So this is the other thing. If you've got one or two players that are always the vocal ones, we're wasting our time. Because if it's Steve, the silent one that the issue was with, we should be challenging Steve. Steve, review what happened there. So tactically, so what are your options? What did you choose? Okay, what happened? What are your other options? Okay, so what are you going to do next time? What if they do this? Okay, you ready? Can you show me now? Go. This is what we need to do in training. That's not now. That's not soft, is it? That's quite tough and direct. 
but it's all directed at the individual that's relevant to the process, not having one or two people that always talk at the other players or always know the answers coach wants. So they've learned answers. They coach asks a question. They'll just tell what coach wants to hear. That's not athlete centered. So when we get into it, we could spend two hours on this, but we get into it. We have to use training to prepare players to be effective in athlete centered in game time. Otherwise, if a coach now, and I, this is where I see coaches not getting this. If a coach turns around and says, right, timeouts are now when you ask questions, they'll laugh at you and go, if I ask my players a question, they'll just look at me blank. Well, they will because you haven't trained them in mm-hmm. training to be able to manage it. Yeah. So this is the difference. Yeah, and, and, and that, that method is a little bit like a classroom setting, at least the best classes I ever had were in that sort of that, that questioning rather than lecturing mode. And I think it's just another version of that when you're talking about especially the practice, which has always been my favorite time when you can do that. Can we talk a little bit about body language and what that, how that expresses itself without even verbal communication and the, the need to be aware of that as well and how that affects play? Yeah, I think it's back to as well is we get to know ourselves and our players. We should be getting to know them in every single training session. So on and off the court, on the court and in game time. So this is where that video reviewing is really important for the for the players to watch themselves interact in training before, after games, the results based timeouts. Get them to watch the videos, get them to look at the behavior, not not the results, not the scoreline. Same as a coach. So what we've got to do is we've got to recognize Are we aware of what we're doing in each moment? And are we aware of how we're doing it, what type of effect it has with the people around us? So body language is one of those things. I'm not one to say if you cross your arms, you're seen as negative and all that. I think that's nonsense. But what it is, is we haven't spent enough time as coaches recognizing what we do and how we do it will have a ripple. So are we guessing the ripple or are we making conscious ripples that have the desired impact? So this is about being aware of, okay, I'm saying, I'm stood like this, I'm looking, my tone, what's it like? I'm now just putting my eyebrows up in my head because, you know, I'm disagreeing with this guy and I think he's an idiot. Well, he's just reading me and going, coach thinks I'm an idiot. So we want to get to a point where there's times when we deliberately do that to see if we can catch the player out. But it's a conscious decision. It's a way of putting them under pressure. But actually, in the moments of development, we want to go... Am I aware of what I'm doing and how I'm saying it as of the effect I want? I'm not. That's not for me. That's unacceptable. That's not a coach developing his craft. That's a coach that's developed bad habits and isn't bothered. He's too busy on the tactics. But what he's not realizing is coach is an influencer. Do you recognize every time you have an interacting, you are influencing? So are you doing that consciously or are you doing it subconsciously? Because you damn right need to be doing it consciously because that's part of your role. So that's the way I see it. Now, and are there like certain, you know, um, I don't want to say call, call them pitfalls, but are there things that you see that, like, that, that happen that coaches do that tend to be negative that they could, you know, s- simply adjust if they were more aware of what they were doing physically and, you know, expression-wise? I think, well, there's some common ones if we, if we strip back to the basic stuff is sometimes coaches, even when they ask a question, there's no eye contact. Um, or if they ask a question, it's a loaded question. And what they're doing is they're definitely not listening to the answer. So the player's now going, the guy's now not even listening to me. He's just, you know, waiting for the next thing to say. So I have no value. He doesn't value me. Why am I just trying to work anything out here? Or you disagree and dismiss. So now they're saying, well, that player's not going to say anything again because you're just dismissing what he says, actually being intrigued about why you're thinking that. There's a bit of understanding issue there. Let's delve into it, whatever it might be. So often it's a case, it's the common ones of saying, if we're asking a question, is it valued? Are we interested in what's coming back? 
is there eye contact of what's going on? Or actually, are we saying that this is a role model of a player? This is what I expect from you, but we're not actually doing it ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I always say to a coach is you need to be relentless in your pursuit of your own excellence of understanding. Actually, if you're having an interaction with a player, you're really interested in what that player's got to say and you're following up on it. You're not just going, I'm asking questions or I'm throwing statements out where you're stood. Are there players stood behind you all the time in timeouts when you're sat down? Are there disengaged players that you're not scanning for their body language and putting an intervention to get back on side? Or are you deciding, I'm saying this and I'm, I'm not going to stop till I've finished saying it. And you're not even scanning and looking to see, is there engagement here? Are they, can I see some disagreement or some, some blank haired eyes of glaze with the people around me? Okay, I'm spotting it, right, I need to put an intervention in. So for me, half of it is the scanning to identify is what I'm saying, how I'm saying it. Am I going to get positive feedback back or am I getting glazed looks or am I getting disengagement? Because then I need to adapt accordingly. So it's it's my ability to be aware of what I'm saying and, and the reaction it's happening to the people around me is, is always going to be key. Because if you're getting a good reaction, you know what you're saying must be effective. So, you know, as we're, well, I have a couple more questions for you. So, you know, the, the evolution, we've always trying to evolve and progress and improve. And I feel like, you know, maybe coaching had hit a wall where it doesn't, there, there's a resistance to that. But it, it, now that we've had enough studies and people have really decided to look into the details of the communication and the role of the coach and how that affects performance, like, are, have we seen any type of, I don't want to call it a universal truth, but are there are there notions that we discovered uh, about how players play that that like uh, their state of mind and what unlocks their absolute best play? Have we seen any kind of uh, real truths there that we could model our uh, our coaching behavior off of or to, to achieve? Are you looking at a, a role model situation or are you looking at just traits? I'm just thinking like, you know, like, like okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to do the, the, I'm going to ask you the question with the lead, a leading question. Um, the, the notion of, you know, playing in a positive frame of mind seems to be one of those real big keys to unlocking the absolute best a, play, uh, a player can give you in performance. Does that ring true to you? Yeah. So I think sometimes people hear that and they think it's a softy statement. So the way I like to see it is whenever I've seen successful players, one thing they have, they play without fear. So they are confident. Whatever they do, if they commit to it, there's no fear to it. And the other the thing that helps them do that is they have a real understanding of their role and, and the people around them. So they have confidence in what they're doing. So it allows them to make good choices. If you think about it, if, if you're playing with freedom without fear, that allows you to just go for things. And then you're in the moment. You're in the present. You're not thinking about, oh, what's just happened? You're just in the moment, in the present. And... The only thing that's going to really prevent that is obviously the environment. But the other big thing is you, you don't really understand your role. So you're, you're a bit of a under pressure. I'll always pass the ball in this situation, whatever it might be. So if we develop players that have a better understanding, think of them. If we can develop a player to be a good coach, what understanding they need in, the, in their particular role? So a bigs, what, what do they need to understand? Yeah, their role, but what about the people around them? So once they understand that, they can make better confident choices because they're not limited to, well, I only know this because coaches tells me to do this. A great example is I've been working with Alan Keane in England and we've had some Americans come across from the collegiate system and semi-pro. And the first week, they, they, their brains were imploding because what we were asking them to do is, OK, we want you to review what just happened there and sort it out live. So we, we don't allow anyone to stop play for more than 60 seconds because we want it live. Go, go, go. And the review from them back and now Alan's developed the report was saying, my whole life, all I've been told is, in this situation, I do this. In this situation, I do this. So I haven't had to think. 
And if I had to go outside that situation, I'd be lost. So what you're asking me to do now since I come over here is better understand my role in the game to allow me freedom to make the choices of what I see in front of me and, and get to understand the players around me so I can adapt. And initially they said that was so tough, it was so alien because the culture hasn't allowed me to think that way because I was so restrictive. So if ABC doesn't work, I'm lost. I need a timeout and coach needs to tell me what to do and draw something on the board. So now they're playing with so much more confidence. They're playing without fear because we're saying, look, as long as you commit to something, I'll never have a go at you because that's something we can review. My only question I'm asking you as a coach is know your role and commit to choices. So then we can work on those two things. So my thing is, is, if you if you understand your role better than the people around you, it allows you to make good choices with confidence and you develop an environment where you allow players to play without fear. Because one of the negatives of fear is the coach is a reaction to player. So we need to be mindful as a coach. Am I putting in fear that's going to restrict flow? If I am, I need to change that because that's not going to help people play well. Playing in the present, play without fear. That, that was perfect. So the last question I want to ask, which kind of doubles back to the military training with your experience, it, it seems to me that from what I've researched and I've interacted with a few people on Twitter who are in the military in America, uh, even in the basic training uh, realm, they've gone away from that officer and a gentleman, you know, in your face, really angry kind of stuff that they used to do for decades and, you know, centuries before. Um, is that your experience as well in the basics training as well that they discovered perhaps in the evolution of training that it isn't the most optimal way to get, you know, soldiers uh, to do what they need them to do? Yeah, I, I think there's been a big, big change. I, th I think uh, one of the reasons that they've been forced to because um, there aren't as many people joining the military now. So as before, they, they had so many in. Doesn't matter if they failed. We'd have enough we wanted at the end. Now they're recognizing we can't do that. We need to increase our pass rate and we need to be smarter at doing that. I still don't think they're good enough. I think, you know, their intention is better. I still think they're getting a lot of things wrong. But the one thing they're doing now is they're getting people to understand, even as a recruit, we want you to be more confident about making decisions for yourself and not just being told what to do. The traditional method was shut up and I'm going to tell you what to do and just shout at you all the time. And all we did is we just got lazy people that were just – did what they were told. So the problem with that is when someone wasn't supervised, they were very poor. This is why a lot of, uh, I mean, America was the same British military. We had a lot of unfit soldiers when they left basic training because basic training was full supervision. So, you know, turning up, parading, food, it was there, put it on your plate, parade here, fitness, formal PT, we're going to shout at you, tell you what to do. They got to the working units where now operationally, there was no formal PT. They could eat what they want. And all of a sudden, they, they had no adherence to exercising for themselves. They had no discipline to exercise. Some did, the top 10%, but the others became unfit. Two things with that. They didn't develop the responsibility in training. They didn't develop the knowledge and understanding they know how to train. And they didn't develop their ability to have self-discipline, to manage their stake and make choices on what they needed to, not what they wanted to do. So the military is getting better at that. I still think they've got a long way to go, but they've had to change because of the need. The thing with sport is, and this is why I've done so much work and I'm really attempting to push more within the collegiate seat of sport coaches and organizations in the States, is we have a huge dropout within players in most sports all over the world. So from young age working through, I believe we're missing some of our best players because they get bored. Because early grassroots coaching is quite poor. I'm generalizing now, but we're not developing and empowering players. So what will happen is we end up with players that unless we get the physical freaks that get 
observed early on and supported through. But generally, we get the players that stay in because they like to be told what to do. They don't have to think. They just go, I'll stand here, I'll do this. And we get some of our greatest leaders and players that drop out of the sport because they're bored, because they're not challenged, because they're not mentally stimulated. If we could develop this type of culture early on, I truly believe the quality and the standard of sport at all levels will go through the roof. And also the attendance and retention of players in sport will increase. So I think we're doing a lot of things wrong just because that's the way it's always been done. And I think we're missing a trick unless we step back and question, actually, I'm expecting a lot from my players, but actually the players are an influence on me. How am I doing developing a culture? How am I doing developing a players to think for themselves without fear? The problem we've got, a lot of the coaches you discuss with, the same as the Twitter, they're already in a position where they can start selecting players in. So actually, are they... What happening in America is probably worse for it than England, to be fair, apart from the elite sport, is you guys can scout. You'll bring the players in and then you'll attempt to throw the tactics and tactical at them. But I would challenge a lot of coaches to say, OK, yeah, still do the scout. But how much development are you doing of the human being once you've got them? Because I think there's a missing trick there. It doesn't matter how good they are. Everyone can develop in mental robustness and decision-making and problem-solving, in adherence to do the things unsupervised of getting them more to eat, into doing the rehab, to having their wellness so they're not stressed, managing stress, trolling, social media, all this stuff that's common today. We can do a lot better at developing a person will impact on the athlete. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in the scoreline, all we're trying to do is develop an athlete to win games. But actually, the facilitator of a great athlete is a great person. And I don't think we're doing that well enough. So there you have it, sports fans. Some incredible insights into being a better communicator and influencer on your team. Whether you're in the corporate world or coaching young kids on the heart. Whether you're in the corporate world or coaching young kids on the hardwood. Give Mark a follow on Twitter at PDSCoach. And you can get more information at pdscoach.com. And don't forget, at B-Ball Breakdown, it's not a channel, it's a conversation. You in?